0: gospel according to John and um, verse 5 I think uh, as Master Stephen was singing I could see his dad's chest it kind of bounced off of me from where he's sitting I'm just really grateful for what God is doing and here's what the word The word says, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Father, we thank you. We bless you for your place, for this place that you've allowed us to gather in today. It is our desire, oh God, that you might be glorified. And so, Father, we ask that you would strip of of ourselves that we would not be concerned about who's on the left or who's on the right, because worship is never about them, but it's about him. And so, God, we want to just celebrate your presence. We thank you that we can individually enter into your presence with thanksgiving. We thank you, oh God, that we never leave when we enter to your presence the same way that we came. And God, there's never any disappointment when we allow ourselves to be totally prostrate in humility, before you. God, it is our heart's desire that you would strip us of ourselves even right now. Oh God, we pray that you would break down all the barriers, all of the obstacles, anything that would come against your word today. Right now, loose us from that and give us an ear that we might hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. And God, we ask that the Spirit of God would fall fresh on us Oh, we celebrate. I don't know if I'll be here next Sunday. I don't even know if I'll be here tomorrow. But as for me and my house, this is the day that you have made and we are going to. I rejoice today, oh God. I celebrate your presence. Oh God, how can we stand in the very presence of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? and not give you thanks. Not raise our voices up and say, Hallelujah! God, we thank you that we are ushered into the very courts of heaven every time we pray, every time we are led by the Spirit. And God, it is your heart's desire, you said that you are spirit, and they that worship you. Father, may we dare not bring offerings before you, even in our standing And even in our responses, that is in our flesh. For in the flesh, we cannot please you. And so we earnestly, oh God, ask that you would crucify us. That the new man might be renewed even right now. And God, we thank you in advance because we ask these things in the matchless name of Jesus. And the church said, amen. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. I'm blessed. I am so blessed. And um, those two have amazing voices. Amen. 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 Praise God. And uh, they move with fluency. Like I used to be able to. uh, Yeah. 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 And so we continue our series of messages devoted to the the theme of our year's focus, Radical Relevant Reboot. One of uh, the most historical, memorable plays took place on the NFL's biggest stage, It was the last play before the half, and it was the game between the New England Patriots and the World's National Football League champions. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, city of brotherly love, Eagles. The Eagles were on the Patriots' goal line. It was fourth and goal, and the best coach that did not win Coach of the Year honors last year, Coach uh, Peterson called for a timeout. Before running the play, Coach Peterson, he called the timeout, and quarterback Nick Foles kind of nonchalantly says, you want to do the Philly Philly? And Coach Peterson said, yeah, yeah, let's run the Philly Philly. Now, the play had never been tried by the Eagles in a real game. The person that would throw the pass had never thrown a pass in an NFL game. The receiver who would be on the catching end of a pass had never caught a pass in an NFL game. And so the commentators were like, I would take the 3. This could be this is going to change the momentum of the game. This could mean winning or losing and I don't understand this is this this is this this really is an unnecessary gamble by coach Peterson. You go, you all remember, right? Amen. Now, we know the rest is history. And we learned after interviews that the the Philly Special had been practiced for a month. And according to Nick Foles, the quarterback, he actually said that it had never run fluently in the way that it actually transpired on the biggest, most prominent scene, the Super Bowl. It had never happened that smoothly in practice. and while most of us were shocked and amazed that it actually worked for the Eagles. You know, we do those, we do those kind of plays and the gimmick. It, it, it just never worked for us. But the Philly Philly, it actually, it worked. Now, here's the interesting thing. The coach needed a lot of courage to make that call The play that had to be executed, it was interesting. Nick Foles runs into the huddle, and all he said was, Philly special, Philly special. And nobody stopped and said, what is the Philly special And Why are we doing that right now? And what's my assignment? They just simply broke the huddle, went to their position, and orchestrated the play, and probably pulled off the most famous Gadget play that changed the momentum of the game in the history of football. Now, while all of that was amazing and we get to celebrate what the Eagles accomplished, none of this would have been possible if any of those 11 players on the field had not just done what the coach said. All it would have taken is one to say, I don't believe we ought to be doing that, and I think I got a better idea. Maybe we should just hold that for later in the game. But they just did it. And because they exercised or executed the instructions of the coach, the play was successful. I want you to know that we have an eternal coach, and his name is Jesus. And for each one of us, he has predetermined a position on his team called the body of Christ. Some of us are the ears, the eyes. We have a specific role to play regarding the gifts and talents that the Lord has entrusted to us. But if we are going to be successful in impacting a world in a radical, relevant, rebooting way, you and I are going to have to learn how to just do what he says. We've got to do what the Lord says. Now, I want you to consider with me as we go back to John chapter 2, verse 5. The mother of Jesus said to the servants that were gathered on that day, she said, whatever he says, do it. Just, Michael, you know the, the slogan, just do it, just do it, just do it. Are we quick to go do it when it comes to buying Nikes and, and, uh, and, 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 and buying LeBron's? But what I'm talking about is obeying the instructions of the Lord. Just do it. I want to share with you four things. And the first of those thoughts that I would consider with you from this passage of Scripture uh, in John chapter 2, which is at the beginning of the Lord's earthly ministry, after he has been baptized uh, by John the Baptist and he has been tempted in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Now Jesus launches his earthly ministry. What an ordination service! What a consecration service with the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, all are present when the Lord Jesus Christ was installed to his earthly ministry. The first thing that I want you to consider with me today is the place of your miracle is wherever obedience occurs. Wherever obedience to what he says occurs, that's the place where your miracle can take place. The Bible says, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, some of us said, they ain't got wine, I ain't even going to the wedding. The mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. I want you to notice where the Bible tells us the story occurs because it's always interesting to me why a place or a person gets mentioned in the holy writ of God. How do you end up on the pages of Scripture? There must be something unique and special and significant about you or else God wouldn't include information about a play. So we're told that the wedding occurred in Cana, a very small city in the region of Galilee. Now, a historical, archaeological, uh, an anthropological study, if you decided that you wanted to do some research, really, and this is what's interesting about our time today, nobody wants to dig. We just go right to Wikipedia or we... Uh, call a buddy or call a friend, and if they said it, then that's, it must be true. But if you decided that you're going to really dig and, and, and get some specific details so you can talk in, out of an information, and accurate uh, uh, fact versus just your opinion, and opinion is what is really motivating most of what is being followed today, not facts, not truth you would conclude on your study of the small town of Canaan in Galilee that there was nothing, in fact, pertinent about it. There was nothing special about Canaan, even though it was eight miles north of the city of Nazareth, the ghetto where Jesus was born. That's not why Canaan of Galilee is mentioned in the text before us. It was a place, and I want you to understand the place where you are, you are are in the presence of a potential miracle right now, and sometimes the only thing that is standing between you and something supernatural from the hand of God is obedience. Will you just do it? Now, notice what was planned at that place in Cana of Galilee. The Bible said on the third day, there was a wedding. That's significant in that weddings are important. They are sacred to family and friends. And more than that, today, weddings are expensive. <laughs> You're talking 30,000 bucks just for, um, you know, some basic uh, uh, um, Amenities. And so, if Cana of Galilee was in the text because of the wedding, wouldn't you think that the name of the groom and the bride would have been mentioned? Even uh, the bride and groom are not revealed to us because it's not about them. how many of you know, I know you one of these days, hopefully you have your special day, some of us have your special day, some of you kept your wedding gowns, and you can get your ankle in it now, and <laughs> uh, but but <clears throat> a believer's wedding is really an opportunity to demonstrate what it's true between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. A uh, uh, marriage represents the most intimate and undivided relationship on the face of the earth, much like the relationship between the Holy Trinity. And yet, upon, upon further review, we discover that this is not about how much the wedding costs, who was in the wedding uh, party, and who the groom and bride were, and did he see our wedding dress before the, the wedding? It was not about them. Their names aren't even mentioned. And yet we're told that in Cana of Galilee, there was a wedding on the third day. I want you to, to also <clears throat> take note of the fact that who was a part of the wedding party? I believe that there was one person who's identified as a member of that wedding party. Look at verse, uh, it says, in verse 1, it says, on that third day in Cana of Galilee, there was a wedding, and the mother of Jesus, she was there. She was there. And it's significant that the Bible says she was already present and, because the fact that she was the one who had inside information, inside information, On something that only those who would have been a part of the wedding party, she might have been the wedding planner, she came to understand, she came to know something that could have been a disaster for the groom, uh, for the father of the groom who was responsible for the cost of the wedding. And so Mary, the mother, she was the mother of Jesus, she was a part of the planning, she was already there. And while the Catholics say that Mary is immaculate and that she's actually treated as the fourth member of the Trinity and people actually pray to the statue of Mary, I beg to differ because the reason that Mary is mentioned in this text, she's a sinner just like the rest of us in need of a Savior. But the the interesting thing is that this wasn't about Mary in terms of why, why the city of Canaan of Galilee was mentioned. It really isn't about you either, or about me. But on that day, the Bible says that Jesus was invited. And he showed up. You know what? Ordinary situations and places and people, when, when Christ appears on the scene, It's no longer an ordinary thing. Now we you're talking about extraordinary, the natural now has shifted to the supernatural whenever Jesus comes around. That's why when the Bible says, behold, Jesus speaking, I'm standing, I'm standing right now as you're seated in this audience. I'm knocking on the door of your heart. If you would let me in, I guarantee you, When you leave today, you will not be the same way you were when you stepped in to this place. The place where you are, there's a miracle waiting if you would simply say yes. When Jesus shows up, something changes, something shifts. I wonder if you want if you if you can see from the eye of the spirit. The Bible says that we're not looking at what we can see. You see, when you, when you are filled with the Spirit of God, you understand that not only are you the temple of God, but the presence of the Lord is here. I wonder today if you can sense that Jesus is here. I wonder today if you would be like blind Bartimaeus when he needed to be healed, and Jesus, he knew, he heard that Jesus was passing by. And the Bible says that Bartimaeus began to cry out, to scream, begin to get indignant. And he said, Lord, do not, do not pass me by. Bless me, Lord. Give me my sight. Sometimes we have to press past the ordinary, the mundane, the routine. We're just coming to church. Sometimes that's our biggest challenge getting to church. But I, I want you to understand if you get to the right place, your miracle could be waiting for you. Now, notice the places where the Lord dispenses miracles. You could be on your way to church. Just had an argument over where the Bibles are, and uh, you didn't close the refrigerator, and you left food out on the stove, and why didn't you turn the lights out, and, 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 and your miracle could be right <clears throat> before you. In route to the church. In fact, in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, the word of God says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple. They were on the way to church, what we would call church today, at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried from whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to beg for, for money and and as those, from those who entered the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the into church, asked him, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, "Look at us." So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive some money. Then Peter said, "Silver and gold have I none." But such as I have, I give unto you in the name of Jesus. We ain't even in church yet. We're trying to get there. And I can hear the saints praying. But, 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 but before we get in there, if you would simply obey in the place where you are, your miracle. If you would just say, yes, just, just do it. And so sometimes your miracle will be dispensed en route to the house of God, even in the midst of your conflict. That's why the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling together of yourselves as the man of some is, but exhorting. Get to church. Get here around the saints of God. Your miracle, what God has for you. It could also happen when you're on, that, on your way to that job you hate. <laughs> they don't appreciate me. I'm un- unappreciated, overworked. I haven't got my, my promotion yet. I wonder why. <laughs> In Exodus chapter three, verses one through six, the Bible says that Moses was on the Median road where he worked as a shepherd among sheep, and for forty years he traveled ninety-five to four ninety-five into off oh, of. He did that for forty years, and then one day on the way to work, the Bible says that he saw a sight. That got his attention and there was a bush that was burning but it wasn't consumed and he said I must come aside and see this thing and, and he didn't realize that it was God putting on an aerial display. How many of you know that God knows how to get your attention? You thought that delay to work was, was your child or, or your wife or your husband. But no, God wanted to meet you en route to work. And as Moses came aside and he saw the bush that was burning but not consumed, I want you to know that a, uh, uh, that a, that a manifestation without revelation will lead you to, will lead you to confusion so Moses is getting ready to take a, a look at the bush, and, and then he hears from the midst of the bush, Moses, Moses, take off your shoes for the ground that you're currently standing on. Wait a minute. I've been walking on this dirt for 40 years, but all of a sudden, this ordinary dirt is now supernatural. Holy, take off your shoes. Whenever God shows up, what was ordinary, what was plain, what was natural is now supernatural. And so your miracle can occur on your way to work. I wonder if you expect anything uh, out of the ordinary from God. Is your highest expectation of God routine? Just don't mess up my day. Let's just give me my coffee and let me get there on time and I hope that all the stuff isn't backed up and hope my boss don't get there on time and hope I can get myself. God may have your miracle waiting for you at work. Sometimes a miracle will occur while you're in church. Your wife might actually speak to you. Oh no, 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 no! That, not, not, that's not the miracle. <laughs> in Mark chapter one, verses twenty-three through twenty-seven, the Bible says, "Now there was a man in the synagogue, in the church of what we would call church today, with an unclean spirit. He was demonically possessed, and he cried out, saying." Now he was going to church every, every, every uh, on every Sabbath. He fit perfectly around religion. I want you to know this, a demon spirit loves church, but the demon spirit hates the word of God in church. And so when Jesus started teaching, the demon started talking to distract Jesus, and he cried out the demon speaking to the man, saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you? Jesus of Nazareth. Demons know who Jesus is, and the Bible says they tremble. I wonder if you really know him. I'm not talking about, yeah, you know him enough to be saved, but do you know enough to give an answer to every man who asks of a reason of the hope that's within you? Why do you love Jesus the way that you say you do? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God, great theology from a demon. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet, shut up, and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit convulsed, they, they're gonna show off gonna make everybody know that this, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna come out, but I'm gonna come out fight. So all shouting ain't the spirit of God. Sometimes it's that alcohol, sometimes it's that foul spirit. But he had, when Jesus said, come out, the demon had to obey. And here's here's what those who were gathered that day, they said, they said, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commands even unclean spirits. And here's the key, they obeyed him. Your miracle can happen in church. Or you can go from church the same way you came. No, actually, you don't leave here the same. you worse if you don't respond properly. Because now you have truth. And the Bible says, to whom much is given? The moment that you hear my voice, don't you harden your heart. Don't you understand? The more you hear the truth and respond not to it, the devil makes your spiritual senses dull. And the scripture says, beware lest you drift away. And so the Lord's performed this miracle of exorcism at church. I wonder as you come to church, filled with the Spirit of God, are you so available to whatever God wants to do that you could speak to somebody right now and say what God has put in your heart? And you don't even know why you're saying it, but God has given you a word of knowledge, and you say it to that person, and they've been praying about it, crying about it, worrying about it, and it's just what they needed to hear to confirm that God heard your prayers. I want you to know that God wants us to get off of our easy chairs in the church. He wants you to put down your spiritual remote control. He wants you to be so on, on alert because you are a soldier of the cross. We're in the army now. That's why the Bible says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the walls. We in the, we're in the army of God and we need to be on guard and recognize. The Bible says, beware of spirits. Judge the spirit to make sure that it's of God. And sometimes, as you are discerning spirits, God will give you exactly what to say to somebody. That's why, when the church doors are open, you need to be here. Some people don't ever need to leave. If you could stay, I remember when we were going to Christian Stronghold back in its heyday, we didn't want to go home. Yeah, to put that one time, uh, in fact, it was so funny, we got, <coughs> we got so used to the children staying all day, and we get home, it's like 9.30, and uh, we're getting ready to shut things down, and there's no canita And then it gets to be about 10 o'clock, no canita So we finally try to call, and we don't know where she is. Somebody said, well, she went out to the gas station to purchase something, and we haven't seen her since. Now we're thinking, oh, my God, the girl's been kidnapped. The girl only, we don't know where she is, et cetera. And then about 11 o'clock, we get a call that she had fallen asleep in the lady's bathroom at the church and had gotten locked in. (laughs) Uh, that, 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 and, that, and what, what's interesting about that again she felt safe enough in the house of god that she could rest but she didn't know they were going to lock her in I want you to know that the church ought to be a, a, a safe haven. It ought to be a place where you can run and get some strength. The, the church ought to be a place where you know that you're going to get built up. The church ought to be a place where you know that somebody is going to bear the, the, the infirmities of the week. You know that somebody can rejoice with you when you're rejoicing and somebody will weep with you when you're weeping. The church, the family of God, that's what I'm talking about. The miracle, the miracle, the miracle is that we can be from all different nationalities and people groups and talk all kinds of different languages and have all kinds and then still be one in Jesus. How about that? You're my sister and you're my brother. And when we leave this place and this corruptible body takes on incorruption and this mortal body takes on immortality, we're going to dwell in God's house as a one family. What a time, Amen. Amen. So a miracle can happen in church, but it can also happen in your home. My home's a war zone. There ain't no sanctuary. There ain't no place where the Lord wants to be. In fact, if I could get, put some earphones on the Lord, when we get in our house, I would give the Lord some earphones. But listen to Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 31. Now, as soon as they had come out, of the, as soon as they left the synagogue, the church, the demon man was delivered. They entered the house in in Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother laid sick with fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served. The Lord does house visits. (laughs) (laughs) aren't you glad about that? And so your miracle could be right in front of the dishwasher. Your miracle could be right in front of the sink. Your miracle could be in those dirty clothes that you get tired of washing. Your miracle could be that food that you're preparing. Your miracle could be waiting for you at home. Just put yourself in a position where you're willing to say yes, Lord. I want you to know that your miracle can also occur in a lonely place. John, the beloved disciple, was on the island of Patmos. He was isolated for The Bible says that he was being punished for his witness, for his testimony of Jesus Christ. You may be a single person and you desire to be married. And every time you leave this church, you're not going home to a husband or a wife that's waiting for you. You're going home to an empty, empty apartment or an empty house. You may be a widower who's been married for many years and now uh, your your, your husband or your wife has died and no longer are you going home to take care of him or to be with him. You're going home to an empty house and the only communication that you get are those robocalls. Don't you get a sick and tired of them? And yet I hear the word of God saying in Revelation chapter one, verses nine through 11, John says, I was in the spirit. (laughs) In a lonely place in an isolated place. He said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And he said, I heard a voice behind me, a loud voice as a trumpet saying, I am. In your loneliness, in your separation, in your grief, in your pain, In your confusion, he said, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I am he who once was dead. But now, (laughs) I'm alive. Your miracle can occur in your lonely place. I'm just trying to say to you that the the place for your miracle is wherever obedience occurs. John responded in obedience, and the Lord gave him the revelation of the end times. So the question is, why did Jesus go to that wedding? The Bible says he was invited. <laughs> is, that, is that simple but profound. Because even though Jesus was invited, sometimes you invite people in the church or you get to know them, you don't always know what you're working with. We went to the homegoing service of Sister Karen Barnes yesterday, and most of you probably didn't know she was a pharmacist. Most of you didn't know that she took people in that were in need financially, and she allowed them to live in her home, that she had a great gift for tapestry, and she was one course away from her doctorate degree when the Lord decided to take her home. Sometimes you don't know that you're entertaining angels unaware. And so Jesus was in, at the wedding, he was invited, maybe because of his relationship to Mary, but they didn't know because he had never performed the miracle before. They didn't know who he was. Lot had the angel of the Lord staying at his house. When, When the angel of the Lord was going to destroy the city, he did not know that God was in his house. I want you to stop underestimating the people that God allows you to interact with. Sometimes you don't know if you would simply invite them to be who they are in the Lord, that something that they may have in their lives will be just what you needed. Jesus came to the wedding because he was invited. Have you invited Jesus into your situations? Now, here's the problem. Now, we see the place of obedience, the place of the miracle is waiting for your obedience. The problem was, the Bible says, that they ran out of wine. They ran out of wine. Now, I'm not even going to try to explain can Christians drink? You're already doing it. (laughs) Now, the Bible says that we should not get drunk with wine. And if your drinking offends a weaker brother, that You should not operate in your liberties, but you should operate in love because Jesus died for the weaker brother. And what that simply means is that you may be able to do some things that the Bible doesn't say you cannot do, but if someone who's weak sees you doing it, they will try it, and now they're strung out. And so you're not going to see Pastor Benson and Sister Benson, Sister Benson, (laughs) you will not see us drinking in front of you. Amen. That's all I'll say about that. So we'll move on. We'll move on. So the problem had to do with the custom of that time. Weddings were not just for one day. A wedding ceremony lasted for four to seven days. And the worst two things that could happen, which would cause a crisis, at a wedding is one that you would run out of food or run out of wine. Now, all of us, I've gone to some some super special, fabulous, elegant weddings, and the bride is beautiful, the tux are great, the the decoration is super, the sermon and all of that, and then the food. No, it was nasty. (laughs) Or they ran out of chicken. (laughs) You know, they ran out of chicken at the wedding. Just when I got up there with my plate, they ran out of chicken. Now, guess what you're going to talk about? The sermon, the gown. No, that was some nasty food at that wedding. I can still tell you about weddings that I went to. They would be married if that food wasn't nasty. They wouldn't be divorced right now if they had (laughs) chosen a better caterer. but you didn't want to run out of wine. That was embarrassing. It was the responsibility of the groom's father. And so if you ran out of wine, not only would they talk bad about you, but you you could be fined financially for running out of wine because it it was a social insult. And so Mary, the mother of Jesus, on the inside, discreetly informed her son. Houston, there's a problem. <laughs> this was a 9 They run out of wine. Now, it's interesting that when you look in the Scripture in Psalm 104, verse 15, that wine in the Scriptures is a symbol of joy, of merriment, of gladness, of exhilaration. And so the picture here is that What would give them joy temporarily was no longer present. I don't know about you, my family, when the alcohol ran out, then they figured that they need to be fighting. (laughs) And even when it didn't run out, because they brought the bad stuff, there was going to be a fight eventually. And so what what, what happened, so so Mary informs Jesus that that the joy, the wine, the wine is gone. I want you to know as believers that the world can't give you real joy. The world can't give it to you, nor can the world take it away. And what biblical joy is, the word keros actually means to have an internal gladness in spite of your external crises. Hell could be breaking out all around you, but on the inside... You have gladness. Now, when you are rejoicing, rejoicing is the external expression of an internal joy. And so he says, she said, they run out of wine, Jesus. I was at the gym the other day. Trusty, I'm slimming down. I, yeah, I got to tell myself that, right? So anyway, and I got my earphones on, and I'm listening to one of my favorite preachers. Uh, Tony Benson, no, no, I'm listening to one of my favorite preachers. (laughs) No, it's painful to listen to your own stuff. I'm listening to one of my favorite preachers, and the word is getting good. I'm doing the elliptical, and then the brother start breaking it down, and, and, you know, exegeting the scriptures, illustrating it, and he's starting to bring it home, and he pulling his own, and I'm watching it, and I'm listening, and next thing you know, I'm on my, and I take my hands off of my, my bars, I'm raising my hands up, and, say, hey, man, and I'm amen, and I'm like, getting on my little stuff, and, hey, and people start looking around, what the world to do? Do we, is this a terrorist? Is, Is he on something? And maybe somebody put something in that water he got. And what they don't understand is I got an internal party going on in spite of my external circumstances. I got the joy of the Lord. When you are a believer, you carry the party with you. You start raising your hands. And you start, I mean, tapping your feet and talking about hallelujah. I'm driving down the highway. I'm singing and rocking my head. I'm all out of beat, but I don't care. I just know that I'm trying to praise the Lord. And people don't understand that because the joy that I had, they ran out of wine. I wonder if you run out of the joy of the Lord. Oh are there some things that, are, that have become dry bones in your life? Are there some things that you pronounce death over? Are there some things that used to bring you happiness, but now when you look at them, you're disappointed and depressed and disgusted? I want you to understand that when you don't have the joy of the Lord, it's available to you. You simply need to take it to the right person. The wine has run out, Jesus. Jesus. The cure, the cure, the custom was that the father took care of the cause. The crisis was they ran out. But here's the cure. Mary had sense enough to realize that she couldn't fix this. How I many you know there's some things you just can't fix? When the doctor gives you that diagnosis and they tell you, well, here's his life expectancy and there's really not much we can do. And, and when you understand that humanly with all modern technology there's limitations. And the one who actually determines the length of your days has nothing to do with the doctor at the hospital. No matter what his degrees is, his name is Jesus. She realized that she couldn't handle this. And then she released it. She took The problem of Jesus, he said to the servants, whatever he says, we want to fill out, we want to fill in. Here's what you do, Lord. She refused to try to dictate to Jesus, I want to have a good marriage, but it got to be on my, if it's going to be on your terms, then you're not going to have a good marriage. You're not going to be a good wife. You're not going to be a good husband. Release this thing to the Lord and refuse to try to dictate. He promises to meet all of our needs, but he doesn't say how, nor does he say when. The reason he doesn't, because faith is a substance of things. Hope for, and yeah, you got to have faith. David said, I've been young, and now I'm old, but I've never seen. I've got a track record with God. He never let me down. He's always, always kept his word. I want you to know that whatever includes things that you don't understand, people you don't like, people that hurt you, people that were intentional, Lord says, love them, pray for them, bless them. I remember telling somebody, give a birthday gift to the woman who hates you the most at work. I am I doing that? Why would I do that? The woman don't like me. Did everything that she can. Because we are believers. The Bible says if your enemy is thirsty, you do what? You give them acid. No, you don't give them acid. You give them water to drink. If they're hungry, you don't give them, you don't give them a brick. You give them bread. The Bible, she released it to the Lord. She refused to dictate Whatever includes whatever he says, he says. Not what your husband or wife says or or, or what your emotions. One day the Bible says your heart, your emotions are deceitful above all. Don't you be living in your feelings. What did God say about this? Whatever he says, is it backed up in the Word? God's word is quick and powerful. The word will stand. Whatever he says, that's what you do. Notice how the servants responded. The Bible says, now there were six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons piece of water. This is ridiculous. He's telling us to get 20 gallon uh, containers of water and wine, that ain't, wait, that water? They out of wine, why are we getting water? Why am I at church when I gotta pay my bills and I work all week? It don't necessarily make sense. So Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. Now the, water, the, t- the pots were empty. He says, fill them with water. And they, and they filled them up to the brim. And Jesus said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. They just did it. They didn't know if it was what was going to happen. They just, Jesus told them to do something that sounded ridiculous. It didn't, it wasn't logical. They couldn't figure this out. But it's not our responsibility to figure out the mind of God because our thoughts are not his thoughts, neither are our ways his ways. We simply need to know the thoughts of God and get to step in. They did it. They did the ridiculous. And what happens when you just do it? The power of God is released when you obey. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and they did not know where it come from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Something, what happened here? And so what happens is when you are obedient as a husband, as a wife, as a friend, As a believer, as a single, God will release his power in your situation, but the power that you need to overcome is going to be withheld until you just, Lord, just give me some new revelation. Tell me what I need to understand. You don't need nothing else to understand. You just need to obey what you already know. Why would God trust you with deeper truth when you're not obeying the simple truth you know? The power of God is released through your obedience. That's how spiritual growth occurs. When you obey, you will grow. When you obey, the power of God, he will, get, he will whisper things in your ear that he doesn't tell other people. He will give you answers to your prayer that had been delayed in the past. The power of God is released when you obey. Let me finish with this. The place of your miracle is one act of obedience away. The problem is we lack what we need on our own, but the power of God is released when we obey. But here's what happens when the power of God is released. Release. The praise of the Lord will, will follow. He said that every man, his, this guy doesn't even know where the wine came from. He said every man that I ever went to, some people just travel from wedding to funeral, wedding to funeral, get some free food, get some free jam- and the drinks. Gonna- Everybody serves the best at first. But you, I, we're going to talk about this, chicken. We're going to talk about this for a long time. You have saved the best for last. Brother, breaking into praise! Oh man, this is this is this is amazing! I want you to understand that when you under, when you surrender to the Lord in obedience, and the power of God is released, you can't help but praise Him. Now you got a testimony. Now you can tell about what God has done for you. I know it's good to praise God for what He did some, for somebody else, for Moses and for that. Da- oh no, God's power has blessed me. You ought to have a praise. You ought to have a testimony of the goodness of the Lord that has resulted from you just doing what he said. Somebody ought to praise him. Hey, do I have a witness today that when you did what he said, do. Don't wait until the battle's over. Obey him now. Shout now. Obey him now. In the victory will be your stand with me. I've shared this testimony on many occasions. As a new Christian, I really struggled with sin in my life, a particular sin. And I would promise the Lord I would come come under heavy conviction. I'd say, Lord, I'm never going to do this again. So what I would do to make sure they would anoint me with oil. Man, I should be fried somewhere by now. I have leaped over pews. I have run through the church backwards and didn't hit anything with my full self. I'm going to say that was the Holy Spirit, too. I'm not going to just say that wasn't God. I just was looking for a way that I finally was going to stop doing what God wasn't pleased with. I've been slain in the Spirit, laying out for hours, didn't even know why I was there and how I got there. I've had people prophesy over me in the King James language. Thee and thou is and thus is. I knew it was from God because we don't speak like that. It must be from God. I've spoken in tongues. And then after I spoke, what I didn't understand, I would leave the church and do this very thing, same thing that I said I wasn't gonna do no more. Sometimes quoting scripture, it has no temptation taken you, but such that is common to men. But God is faithful. <laughs> I expected God to literally reach out from heaven and, and grab me and usher me. No, he, the same way I got to where I was and I shouldn't have been. And one day, I had a Red Sea experience and uh, the Pharaoh was hiring me. And no, 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 none of that. The Holy Spirit said, Obey. The way to victory is obedience. It ain't no supernatural uh, tongue speaking and, and they get pregnant too and have, and don't have husbands and then and, and, and they don't hate hey, all of that don't change you. You not you need to obey the word of God. And so I had to make a decision when my flesh was kicking in in overdrive, five gears, sometimes 10 gears. And I would had to take the word that I knew. Make no provision for the fulfilling of the lust of the flesh. And sometimes I had to do what, what Paul told Tim. To he said, flee, flee. Get yourself to stepping. No conversation, no discussion. No, we'll get, no, 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 get to stepping. And God delivered me from what held me in bondage as a Christian because I simply obeyed him one day at a time. Somebody say amen. Just do it. Just do it. With every head bowed.